Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of like the Dell <laughs> campaign. <laughs> it's, it's, after, after, it's working. After an hour. Uh, we'll say, would you mind repeating everything <laughs> that you just said? It's the recording. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sum up Dolan Bush and, and that period. Um, and, and maybe even in a wider sense. I mean, what was the what was the significance of the Bush presidency? The significance of the Bush presidency, from Dole's standpoint, or just well, both. generally. Yeah, yeah. Both. I mean, it, I mean, the the you know, the relationship between Dole and Bush it was remarkable, given how they went into it. And and, and my guess is uh, that has a lot to do with Dole's personal resilience. And the fact is that Dole tends not to have grudges, and obviously yeah, Bush, to some extent. Uh, you think they was, both worked at that? Yeah, I think they both worked at that. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, Dole demonstrated uh, loyalty and passion for for trying to advance the, the president's agenda. And I think that was real and, uh, and not just feigned or going through the motions. And, and that was appreciated by Bush, and, and they built on that. So. Yeah. And uh, the uh, you can just set that here. We were talking about the significance of the presidency, uh, the Bush presidency, and 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 you ask a uh, historian's kind of question well. uh, <laughs> of what the significance of the Bush presidency is. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, I think that uh, maybe it will, will be better regarded in the future as it, than it was uh, immediately afterwards. There was a lot of complaint by conservatives that uh, of his breaking the tax pledge and increasing uh, regulation. Uh, it, it, that that fracture within the Republican Party and, and particularly among conservatives, that obviously had to have uh, implications for Dole, right. for Dole's ambitions. How did he, or, or how did he not, sort of ride that? Well, of course, he wasn't uh, part of the, the tax increaser crowd at that moment. Uh, I mean, he had been fatally burned by not taking the tax pledge before that, so that going into 96... Uh, a, a Western man would not have hesitated probably to observe something along those lines when, uh, when the president, in effect, jettisoned his uh, no-new taxes pledge. Right. And so uh, when we we thought we were running in '96 against Phil Graham, and spent almost all of our opposition research on Phil Graham, yeah. and uh, uh, I think Senator Dole was trying to position uh, the structure of the Senate Finance Committee so that Phil Graham didn't get on it. Now. Uh, unlike today, where uh, the leader actually has some control over some of those appointments, 
at that time it was strictly an operation of seniority, so the only way that uh, you could really block Phil Graham is to get people that were more senior than he to uh, to come on the committee. And I think that uh, that our leader attempted to try to get people to do it, but a person like Domenici, who was clearly more senior, uh, didn't want to give up appropriations. And because of the uh, the the fact that if you're on finance, you have to give up other uh, uh, exclusive committees like uh, appropriations or armed services or uh, would there have been bad blood uh, between Dole and uh, Graham um, had they not been prospective opponents for 96? I don't think bad blood and I don't know how bad the blood really was. I mean I think it was uh, Dole was I mean they're both prickly. They're both prickly and uh, I don't think that that they have a natural affinity. Hmm. Uh, Phil Graham is is a uh, sort of blunders right down the middle, uh, with a touch of the academic, and 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 not not really a naturally social guy. Hmm. I mean, uh, you know, <clears throat> his he he had a harder time. Uh, um, I think engaging in chit chat. He was mainly let's let's talk about this and and move forward with that. It was interesting. We put all of our money in in opposition research uh, against him, and he folded so fast. And and he came to New Hampshire, and endorsed Dole in New Hampshire. Huh. And and that. I think had nothing to do with Dole, and had to do with Buchanan. Said something unkind about uh, Wendy Graham, really? and I think he was so furious with that that he decided he was going to endorse Dole because of the, the sort of the hurtful, perceived hurtful things that he said about. Huh. Uh, well, let's Wendy. back up. I mean, coming out of uh, '92. Well, first of all. Give me a sense of the Dole George Mitchell relationship. Well, Sheila is going to be better than this because, okay. as you recall, I I came back to private law practice at the end of '86, and I was during the early Bush years. Of course, I was in in the Bush administration, where I never expected to be <coughs> having thrown my lot with uh, Bob Dole and yeah. given it my all and decided in August uh, of 1988 that uh, that that was that and it was safe to buy a new house <laughs> with a private sector mortgage and I did that in August of 88 and uh, uh, didn't anticipate going in the administration which would have <laughs> <laughs> which had a hard time supporting that mortgage for uh, for very long. So I, in uh, by '92, uh, I was back here at at Covington. So I mean, the sort of the day to day thing, Sheila would be better. Okay. Uh, 
so in terms of preparing for 96, so what are the origins of that? Was it just always assumed well, you know, that it was, was going to happen? Or well, it was kind of funny. I remember, I think Bob Lighthizer and I sat down with Dole at some point. Uh, uh, you know, maybe been in the early 90s, and uh, it didn't occur to me that he was going to run again. Hmm. Just because of age? Yeah, because yeah, of his age, and, you know, he'd taken the shot, and... and uh, I remember Bob and I sort of said, so who are we going to support in 96? And he said, how about me? And that was the first time I really perceived that he was very actively thinking about running. Uh, and and uh, we had a core of people that put together, you know, the, uh, the sort of the Dole team and went back to people from 88 and gathered others. And we had a pretty, I mean, you know, we were able to build on, you know, if I was the national head of lawyers for Dole, we were able to build on the people that we had and uh, and really build a very effective organization for uh, of lawyers for Dole. And, and we took, you know, highly paid lawyers and turned them into uh, sort of field workers. But one of the things that we did, uh, having watched when you bring a bunch of uh, highly educated, skilled people into a campaign. The campaign doesn't know what to do with all of these people. Uh, uh, one of the things that we did before every primary and we asked for volunteers to go up, we sent Nina Oviedo up a week in advance and had her work with the campaign and figure out what jobs were there and coordinate the jobs so that when we sent people up there, they wouldn't be just sort of saying, oh, we don't know what you do, or, you know, uh, just flounder around. She had it all organized, so I said, okay, I need 10 people on the this uh, to do, f- you know, phone bank work. I need somebody to uh, to be calling the, the radio stations. I need somebody to be putting out signs and, build, you know, going to the hardware store and getting stuff and putting them out in this county or that. That worked very well, and that was the benefit of having had the experience of uh, of having people take off their valuable time and <laughs> and not being able to figure out what to do with them once they get there. What had changed between eighty eight and ninety six, and well, how had Dole changed? Well, I mean, he he obviously yeah was a. Uh, Sort of more mature candidate. I think he still had the same fire in his belly for, for where to go. Uh, you know, I he wanted it as much as ever. I think he wanted it as much as ever. Uh, I think that. Uh, why did he want it, guys? That's a that's a real interesting question of why people pursue this uh, at and and give so much of themselves to. Uh, Get a job that I mean, did you ever sense that it, it was because he had an agenda he wanted to uh, implement, or uh, and, and I don't mean that I don't mean that the no, way it sounds. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think run for I don't think it was uh, you know here I I, I want to uh, Ronald Reagan sort of had an agenda uh, that mm. of things that he wanted to uh, to do in a big picture. I think that uh, Bob Dole. 
sort of had a vision that that he was a uh, very skilled policy guy and would be able to lead the country in an effective way, but not because I want to accomplish this, 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 and this. Was there ever any thought given, and I'm biasing because I have a dog in this hunt, was ever any thought given to proactively turning the age issue inside out by saying, I want to be a one-term president? Uh, And the idea being, as a one-term president who doesn't have to, unlike Bill Clinton, who spends all his time thinking about politics and thinking about getting reelected. I mean, I could actually, I mean, it it could actually fit into the whole profile of, you know, this is my last mission and, you know, I I don't want to do, you know, politics as usual. uh, I mean, uh, whether there was any thought given, he never ran on that basis, so. But was it ever, I mean, did you ever hear any discussion at all? I didn't hear it. I mean, obviously I thought about it, uh, given his age, but. I mean, look at McCain now. He's he's a really old guy running. And but he's but it's it's a factor in I mean, yeah. I think it's reinforcing other factors. I mean one one aspect of Dole's age and health that did have a direct impact was uh who we who we selected as vice president and uh how we went about that because uh I was asked uh, by Senator Dole to uh, serve on the vice presidential selection. We first had a little task force, and it was uh, Bob Ellsworth, uh, myself, uh, what's his name, Uh, Reed? Scott. Scott Reed, and, uh, oh, uh, Tom Coralogos' wife, uh, Anne McLaughlin. Anne McLaughlin. Oh, sure. Was we, and we had some meetings to discuss this, and Dole sort of said he wanted to have somebody who would be a, a 10. Uh, now, when you look at it in terms of experience, foreign policy, uh, you know, and if you look at somebody who's a 10, uh, from that standpoint, we talked about Cheney, for instance, having those qualities. But Cheney was a complete non-starter because of the health issue. He had multiple heart attacks. He looked less healthy then in 96 <coughs> than he does today. He was heavier and just didn't look like a healthy guy. But he had, I mean, you know, he'd been a White House chief of staff. Sure. He'd been a congressman, been a cabinet officer. Uh, it, he had no those kinds of credentials. But... But we had a very explicit uh, health hurdle because we imagined that there would be the TV or radio ad that said we're only one week heartbeat away from Newt Gingrich being president of the United States. And we thought that was probably a, a very telling telling uh, argument because Newt Gingrich was not at the height of let's, his possible. Let's step back. Yeah. What? What is the Dole-Gingrich relationship during this period? Well, I think it was probably, yeah, uh, you know, I think it was sort of a workmanlike but uh, not warm 
I don't think it ever has been warm since Gingrich attacked Dole as the tax collector for the welfare state. They they have sort of different styles. I mean, Dole's not. Uh, he tends to get along with everybody, and I think that he did get along with everybody. There was some tension I could tell because I was talking Sheila re uh, regularly, and this was. I think one of the critical uh, sort of things that sunk us, uh, why we ultimately weren't successful, but the big shutdown of government was Gingrich pushing it and Dole didn't want to do it. But Dole couldn't afford to openly split with Gingrich right. because he was still very much in doubt as to whether he could capture the right wing of the party. And so he was sort of trapped because he didn't didn't want to have the right wing attack him and go but it, what what happened is that that re, that shutdown of the government rehabilitated Clinton who had been terribly unpopular before and Clinton had the whole middle of the electorate open to him while we were still running for yeah. uh, for it, the right it, wing isn't that a metaphor in all in a sense for the whole campaign that Dole was in some ways cornered, limited by this constant need to protect his right flank. And 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 and, and not just a economic conservatives, but now clearly cultural and religious Culture. conservatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and again, I mean, you know, my bias here, I remember I'll never forget when Time magazine called and said We've got this memo that you wrote to Senator Dole, which was basically, you know, from the what used to be moderate wing of the party. But it was, but it was also suggested that I think it said pointedly you were a better candidate in '88 because you were yourself, and that this feeding the crocodile is is. When is, did you write that? It was in the summer of 95 and I'll tell you it was the issue when Colin Powell I guess withdrew um, I mean right before that I think Time Magazine actually Time may have put Dole on its cover that week but but this was the new story was this you know battle for the soul of Bob Dole and um, and I intended it for no eyes but his and I subsequently learned 99% that he was the one who leaked it. He told me, <laughs> no, listen, he told me, no, more importantly, he didn't tell me. He told the press that he kept the memo on his desk, looked at it every day, sent it over to the campaign. You can imagine how many friends that made me, yeah. you know, over there. And like, yeah. Who's this busybody from outside mucking up with our perfect strategy, you know? Which and I can put myself in those shoes. Um, George Will attacked me on the, on, on the Brinkley show. He had Dole on, and he reads this story, you know. And of course, Dole was sort of backpedaling as fast as he can. Uh, and of course, Maury is in the middle of all this, right? Because she's the personification of um, this strategy, so the, the you know the Hollywood speech and everything else. Mm -hmm. And the problem was, he wasn't a good enough actor or he wasn't enough of a hypocrite, in my opinion, to make it look 
authentic. No, no, that's and true. I, I thought he was in danger of losing his authenticity. Well, he, he, he isn't a good actor, and he tends to be just, uh, maybe it's his Midwest upbringing, but he tends to be pretty straightforward and, uh, and not with, uh, with uh, as much acting and guile as uh, many politicians. I mean, remember the disastrous State of the Union response? Yes. Oh, yes, do I remember? Oh, okay, well, <laughs> do uh, I see, remember? this is all part, all right, tell yeah. me your account of the, of the. <laughs> uh, you know, to some extent, I've tried to put that, uh, <laughs> put that out of my mind because it, it, it wasn't just a bad speech for Dole. I think it's one of the worst rebuttals that I've seen. And, and, uh, uh. I don't think I didn't have. It wasn't like I was hurt to the quick because uh, my ideas were thwarted or whatever. That it would just I wasn't a player in that. Uh, and and what was the dynamic? I mean, I I don't mean to point fingers. I mean, Maury may be too convenient a target, but well, but I think that. Maury was, yeah. was the, the uh, <laughs> maybe she's a too convenient target because <laughs> she is the logical. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> who else in the campaign, you know, would have that kind of strategic? Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, that was. I think, it, you know, there may have been some others that contributed, but I think the majority of the the honors would go to her. And did he, once the speech was delivered, did he realize that it was a bomb? Yeah, but I, I wasn't of, uh, as a general matter, sort of saying. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying uh, you. Gee, yeah. I just did he, was, did he know? I, I think a, he knew, and uh, and we all knew. And, it, and, of course, you know, you get critiqued in, uh, in the press, and, and if anything, they were kind. Actually, you know, they were, I yeah. mean, relatively speaking. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's why I'm wondering this. Was there a tug of war going on within the campaign between, say, you know, this let Dolby Dole camp and the... Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the problem with let Dolby Dole is uh, I think there really was a great deal of uh, uncertainty as to whether he would get the nomination if he took a yeah, a yeah, left left or moderate approach, and he really had to run for the hearts and minds of the conservatives. But but that's just an answer to the question: What had changed between '88 and '96? I mean, it sounds as if I mean this was a process that had been going forward. Yeah. Now you had Gingrich, and you had a Republican Congress. And the contract with America and all of this. I mean, the party had had really veered even more. More, and and also I think he probably learned from '88. He says, "I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get snookered on the tax pledge." Or, uh, and and it, and you know, I think the election was lost by uh, March or April, uh, and and that's because. Clinton had an opportunity to rehabilitate himself. Yeah. By March, when we actually got the nomination, 
we had had an unprecedented amount of negative advertising courtesy uh, of our friend from New Jersey that was directed at Dole to tear Dole down. You know, I think, you know, eight or nine or ten million dollars of negative advertising that was directed uh, and directly you, out at of Dole. Money too? And he had no money and by How March. Did that happen? Well, I mean, I, you know, you just spent it all on the uh, on getting the nomination, and the nomination was contended by uh, Buchanan. For did you ever sit around? I mean, Buchanan seems in, then even more than against Bush, and to put it mildly, an improbable opponent. But. If you uh, if you look at a very hard right uh, electorate, that is the Republican primary voters, I think he had a lot more appeal to to that group than he would to any other segment of the electorate. But and, and but Forbes had been a significant. But Forbes was the one that really did damage to Dole. More than Buchanan. Dan, Buchanan didn't do damage to Dole in in a long term sense, but Forbes running that much negative advertising against Dole, and then you end up in March and you have no money, and Clinton's got all of his money, so we had to rely on the RNC to sort of fill in the gap. Uh, you know, just look at those factors. Uh, it was only I only looked at it this way after the election when I went to the the John F. Kennedy School of Government does a sort of recap of the election. They invite people from campaigns and I went up to that and listened to the Clinton people, their analysis of what they were doing and how they were able to win. It made me feel better because I realized it wasn't just we could have done something better. We had forces operating against us that we had to fight a primary. We had to go to the right. He had the center. He had the money. We were out of money. They knew we were out of money. Uh, what was Dole's mood? Did you know? How did his mood fluctuate? Well, he, by and large, because in a lot of ways it had been pretty frustrating. Uh, yeah, but but on the other hand, he he seemed uh, pretty even-keeled and uh, not quite the Hubert Humphrey happy warrior, but yeah. uh, but given how uphill the fight was. Unexpectedly seemed, uphill. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, you know. I mean, was Forbes, uh, do you think in Iowa, Forbes was a major yeah. factor in terms right. of and then we lost, we lost New Hampshire again, and I, I don't think I'll ever go to New Hampshire again for any presidential election. I hate it. I, and I've, I've never supported anybody that's ever won in New Hampshire. The people are surly. Yeah. Uh, it's so over overkill. And, and uh, so I went right from New Hampshire and then went down to South Carolina where we basically saved the campaign. Right. You know, South Carolina saved it, just in the same way that it did for... Uh, what is it about South Carolina? Why is it... It seems to be a much more establishmentarian well, well, let, let me Let me just sort of <coughs> reflect on this. Uh, when you go, as I have uh, several times, to New Hampshire 
and you call people on the phone, number one, the people from New Hampshire, by and large, are kind of surly people anyway. But after they've been called a hundred times, yeah, well, they're extra surly. In 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 uh, yeah, in South Carolina, even number one, they haven't been called a hundred times. But even if they don't want to talk to you, they're uh, polite and uh, and nicer. I think that uh, uh, it's it's Is a that's pretty going over into Iowa, by the way. It's a that same it's syndrome. A, that I think syndrome. I think I think maybe the North, they seem to be yeah, quite vexed if if they haven't met the candidate in person and you know they're sort of very demanding kind of people for us. In South Carolina, I mean one of the things that we were able to do in South Carolina is it turns out that there's uh, not an insignificant Jewish population in South Carolina and very old Jewish congregations in Charleston, in Columbia, in Greenville. And uh, Oddly, the South Carolina primary is on a Saturday hmm. rather than a Tuesday. And uh, Buchanan had just come out with his book where he seemed to be praising Hitler. So we called every rabbi in the state <coughs> and said, you're going to have an election uh, on Saturday. Yeah. And we got a lot of commentary yeah, on Friday evening <laughs> services. And, and and we worked those that we had somebody who's active with the Holocaust Commission, mm-hmm. and uh, is it a different kind of party though? I mean, I sense uh, you know Thurmond and the Carol Campbell. It, it seems like a more hierarchical, yes, tightly structured party in South Carolina. Than, we also than had the Christian Asia. Coalition okay. actively working on our behalf. Ralph Reed and yeah. it turned out that that group on yeah. our behalf as opposed to uh, and that that's a, another huge factor. I mean you have the hierarchy you had the we we had the Jewish community locked up and we had the the Christian community locked up the the Christian and that was a pretty pretty probably in South Carolina is well organized and uh, oh. An active group as anywhere <coughs> in the South. Well, then I mean to you know, to be fair, or to bend over backwards to be fair, then w- would you say the Hollywood speech, for example, had a payoff? I mean, down yeah. the road, yeah. That was your firewall, South Carolina. Yeah, and, and interestingly, it was for George W. Bush. Do you buy the notion? That the, the Republican Party. The weather's party. also nicer there. Uh, <laughs> I ruined my best favorite pair of shoes in the first time in uh, New Hampshire because it snowed and they got all screwed up. And Do you buy the idea that, that the Republican Party is just more hierarchical and that um, there is a kind of um, natural order? I mean, you, you wait in line well, and, and you... Uh, you I think that the Republican Party generally, it's not just South Carolina, but there is sort of this notion that uh, it, that there's some kind of sense of uh, you've paid your dues, you're entitled to, to get the slot. Now, it seems to be uh, this 
particular primary right now seems to be so wide open that it may be that no one's paid their dues mm-hmm. or, or that's breaking down. If, if maybe if you'd say anything, anything it would be uh, McCain. But well, on the other hand, McCain was viewed as not a party loyalist uh, in the last go-round. So. Was there a moment uh, in 96, I mean, not walking into the fall, but in terms of, was there a moment when you're sitting in a room and it sort of dawned on you that, you know, we, we could lose this nomination? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't think it was, I thought that we still uh, at all points had a good chance, but I didn't, I personally didn't count it in the, the bank. Maybe it was just the 88 experience where, and what where, we, where what we won Iowa and, and, and the pollster Dole, told us we were going to win New Hampshire. And if it wasn't Dole, who, who would it have been? Well, you know, it's hard to imagine. I wasn't going to be Forbes or Buchanan. Yeah, you can't imagine either of those guys. Um, now, you won, what was it, uh, Super Tuesday. When the, right, you yeah. basically won the nomination. Yeah. That night, had had a well, two things. Had had a vice presidential search already begun. No. And no, what about really. the platform? I mean, was there at what point did that begin to really? Be that, an issue? that I don't think that because uh, the media certainly tried to to make abortion a source of of conflict within the party. I don't think either the platform or the vice president stuff really got underway until after the nomination was secured. I mean, after all, we had a goodly period of time when uh, we didn't have any money to do anything else but sit around and examine our navels on uh, on that. And I don't, I don't remember exactly when it was that Dole appointed this vice presidential team, but it was... Can you think of, like, you mentioned Cheney. I mean, you can think of, I remember from the time Engler was mentioned. At well, point. well, I'll tell you exactly, yeah. I mean, we, we set up this sort of grid and tried to evaluate people and, and the qualities that, uh, that were attractive. Health, perfect health was a, was a requirement. He would like to have had somebody who had significant military service. Which was in, is increasingly difficult, uh, but did that rule out practically rule out women? No, I mean, no, we had a the... sort of a whole separate uh, enterprise of of trying to think of women uh, and brainstorm about women uh, to uh, to put women in the uh, in the pool that we were looking at, and and we we would just sort of throw out names on this group and 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 we had a whole grid of uh, of names and pluses and minuses and do some evaluation and background work on you know maybe 50 60 70 mm-hmm. people uh and that and was then was Colin Powell ever approached or well, I don't. I think he was approached uh, early on before we got too far into this, and he said he wasn't interested. So he was really never uh, a uh, 
a viable candidate just because he'd taken himself out of the running. Uh, and Cheney was never, I mean, we sort of looked at him. Uh, and Rumsfeld was a guy with sort of perceived with the vast experience. Uh, uh, you worried you know, about that being too much Washington? I mean, Dole being the consummate Washington insider. The, that uh, Cheney or... Well, I mean, yeah. just to think about Cheney was then running uh, Halliburton. Hmm. He was in Texas. He'd been out of Washington for a while. Um, and and Rumsfeld the same. I mean, he you know he's running Searle. Yeah. Uh, 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 that's the in the campaigns the only time I ever saw uh, Rumsfeld and and. To be honest, I was quite unimpressed. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But what was his ostensible role? He was kind of like a uh, sort of one of the leaders in terms of I forget how the title worked, but he was supposed to be uh, uh, somebody who was leading the effort, and he brought in some guy who was just sort of Mister uh, Bean Counter. Uh, we got a put everything in a memo with this format kind of stuff and I don't think it added any value at all that yeah. I could see. But uh, in the vice presidential search, the very first person that he talked to, uh, we I developed a, a questionnaire that people would, would have to uh, respond to and I sort of started with the questionnaire that uh, um, they used for presidential appointees, and then I th added things to that that, uh, that were sort of political mm. kinds of things. For instance, have you ever paid for an abortion? Have you ever personally been, you know, those sure. kind of questions aren't on the president, but uh, <laughs> and I just sort if of... If you don't ask him, someone else will. Uh, you know, I just tried <laughs> to think of what, what potentially embarrassing issues sure. weren't covered by that. Uh, and then uh, sort of the pattern was that we would talk about somebody when somebody he was pretty serious about, he would call them on the phone and ask them to meet with me if they had any interest. And the first person that I talked to was uh, the governor of Pennsylvania, Tom Ridge. Tom Ridge, who was a combat veteran in Vietnam, lost part of his hearing there. Uh, and was highly regarded. Yeah, I mean, and and I flew up uh, one Sunday to his home in Erie and talked with he and his wife, and uh, I was very favorably impressed by him. He he was a nice fellow. My family settled about thirty miles south of Erie, <coughs> and, and I have some distant relatives that run a business, uh, the manufacturing business that make channel lock pliers uh, right near where my family, they happen to be named DeArmond, and they actually turned out to be fairly big supporters of Ridge. So. <laughs> uh, but before I sent him the form and he just about the same time, called back and said, 
on balance he wasn't interested. And so then I think my next foray to talk to people was the spin through the Midwest where I got a road atlas and started calling these governors to try to figure out where I was going to go. And, and since I had a plane at my disposal, uh, you know, I could make appointments and... Angler? Tommy Thompson, I assume? Angler, Tommy Thompson, uh, uh, John, uh, Illinois, Wainovich. Uh, Jim Edgar? No, it was not Jim Edgar. It was... Uh, yeah, it was Jim Edgar. Yeah, that, they, he was a tall, thin guy. Yeah. Who uh, we met in Springfield. We met... Uh, Angler at his summer, the governor's Up summer at home in, in Mackinac Island, <laughs> yeah. and flew in with his light plane yeah, at midnight, and they they could uh, turn the runway lights on remotely. They did that. We landed. They buttoned the plane up, and then we get the taxi, which is a horse-drawn clip clip clip. Oh. clip. <laughs> so, uh, and and Voinovich, was oh, yeah. governor of Ohio, and we cut him on the way back. So I I talked to those four. We talked to uh, Governor Campbell, who was then at the ACLI, and just actually uh, only a brief distance from here. So his, uh, uh, and then we uh, we looked at McCain. We looked at uh, Connie Mack. Nichols, and I met with all of those people. Uh, there was, uh, those were sort of later, uh, the Edgar got booted fairly early on, I think. Because it helped. Well, he had had some heart attacks. He was a health fitness guy. He oh, ran yeah. all the time. Yes. And, and uh, we had uh, Sheila and, and our friend uh, Dr. Peck look at the health files. I got medical files from people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it shows the difference between somebody who has no training like me. I look at it and say, this looks pretty good. His cholesterol is pretty low. And Chuck Peck says, it should be low. He's on about three times the recommended dosage for, of uh, some statin like Lipitor. Of course, he would have recognized that it. it was just artificially <laughs> yeah. depressed. And it, yeah. At any rate, uh, then, uh, I mean, we had talked about Kemp early on, and it was kind of rejected. And, and interestingly... Scott Reed, who worked for Kemp, was not very supportive of, of going to Kemp. And there were a lot of negatives that Kemp had in terms of being a, sort of a uncontrolled guy, you know, all of the, the potential negatives. And to, uh, I think that, uh, you know, we had narrowed it down to about four people. Um, Engler, Thompson, um, Connie Mack, uh, I think maybe McCain. 
and uh, and I think that when he looked at all those choices, he, you know, and we did another round, and people came in, and we talked with them again. Uh, I think he just didn't think that there was much excitement in in that list, and uh, he he made a little. He had a conversation with uh, oh uh, the secretary of education who wrote the book of virtues, uh, Bill Bennett. Bill Bennett, and uh, when I sent the form to Bill Bennett, he quickly withdrew. And 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 maybe we know later why, because he has he you know had a major gambling problem. Uh, would have been that's apparently one of the virtues. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> if you that would if be you a win, sort of a un, unattractive uh, bit of hypocrisy. Uh, uh, and so then Kemp came up really. I mean, we hadn't we had talked about it before. And with respect to everybody that got s fairly seriously uh, interested, we had a team here that that did computer research, and and you know with the internet, it sort of it enables you to find out to troll for dirt. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a there was a website. I had somebody else that did this. Uh, uh, a young lawyer who was really quite good at it. Uh, and he said there's a place called the Skeleton Closet where they report uh, adverse stuff yeah. on on people that are potential candidates. So, uh, so all of a sudden, Kemp is back in our uh, sights and, and going to the top, but not decided. Uh, and I remember, geez, you know, we had almost no time to... Uh, to look at it, and we're scrambling to uh, have people review his taxes and look at all of this stuff. Uh, and there were some potential issues uh, in terms of uh, adultery and that sort of thing that uh, were rumors that were huh. out there. Uh, indeed, I didn't have to go very far to uh, have that corroborated by somebody that worked for me. Hmm. Quite a surprise. Yeah. Um, but I remember uh, getting the materials to get it together. My job was to then go pick up the person. And so I have a plane waiting for me at Dulles Airport to uh, go do this. And I called Bill and I said, so who's it going to be? And he said, I'm still thinking about it. Go pick up Kemp. Okay. So I'm getting ready to leave this office to go to the airport. And uh, I took with me all the materials for Connie Mack because I thought, well, what's going to happen? Do you have a sense of who the last, next to last man standing was? Well, yeah. Was, well, I'm, I, 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 my sense was that it was Connie Mack, and I took the Connie Mack <coughs> file with me. Hmm. And I knew where the top four, where I could find them. 
and how to get a hold of them by phone. And I knew that Kemp was flying from Florida, like Orlando or something, into uh, Dallas to give a speech. And so I went out to the to go pick up the plane. I stopped at the main terminal at Dulles to meet with the Bob Kimmett, who had done this work for uh, George W. Bush, and Kemp was one of the finalists there, to talk with him about his uh, recollections of issues and, and that sort of thing. And Excuse me, I think you mean George H.W. Bush, right? George H.W. Yeah. Uh, and Kemet was was the vetter, and he was coming back from it because as soon as the Kemp thing came, I thought I got to talk with Kemet because mm. Kemet had a lot of time to look at it, and Kemet was in in Europe and was landing just about the time at mm. Dulles. So I met him at Dulles at the airport, and he gave me a little brief on on what he recalled from that. Then I got on the plane, Sheila and I, and and. Uh, Scott Reed's assistant, who I think was to keep an eye on us, uh, his little worker bee there, and we flew up. And and you know when we were on the plane, we made we called Dallas and got a limousine. You know it was just making it up as we go along. We we get to uh, Dallas and we were going to pick him up in his hotel, but his plane was delayed, and so we ended up having to pick him up from the airport. And we go to where the uh, the terminal is. He's old station in the the Dallas airport. And we'd landed at Love Field, and that's where our plane was. So we had to go to the, take our limo to the the big airport. We pull right up to that, and there's press everywhere, vans with the things. So we can't walk in there uh, like this. So we go down to the next. Uh, station in the terminal and talk to the people and talk our way to uh, to go on the tarmac all the way down and then come right up from where when people get off the plane you know there's a little doorway that you come up we were standing there and so we're standing waiting for the plane waiting for the plane the guy who's supposed to uh, the, supposed to meet Kemp there because they've arranged to have him give this speech is down in the uh, uh, main terminal waiting to pick up uh, <laughs> camp and apparently hears from somebody that we're down there. And so he comes charging down there uh, with somebody from the uh, airplane and, and he asks Sheila this most unlikely question. And we sort of said, well, we're here to meet him. Uh, you know, Dolan wants to talk to him and whatever. And he says to us, well, are you going to take him if he doesn't want to go? Say, well, we're going to pull out guns and drag him away, drug him. Was he afraid he was going to lose his speaker? Yeah. And, in fact, he did lose his speaker. <laughs> and so he's just panicked. You know, he's arranged this six months in advance. Kemp's arriving. He's waiting there. These people are going to spirit him away, which, indeed, we did. And it's funny. He comes off the plane and he sees us there, and he says, "Hi, Rod. Hi, Sheila." I say, hey, "Can you come this way?" And there's this guy. I said, "I introduced him to this guy, who said he knew Kemp from way back, because this guy was like a gold medal winner in the decathlon. Oh. I never heard of him. Okay. You know, he wasn't 
it was before Bruce Jenner. Right. But he he was tight like that, and Kemp didn't recognize him. And afterwards, he said, who was that guy? I said, oh, he said, oh, yeah, now I remember. But at any rate, we spirited him away and took him back to Love Field, where we had arranged on the fly to get a conference room so that Dole could talk with uh, with him. And then they they had a conversation and uh, uh, we waited for Dole to call back to see whether he was satisfied, which is quite awkward. Yeah. And the decision was made, I mean, that... Yeah, then, then then we got the green light, we got on the plane, we flew to some Air Force base in, near Russell, and we uh, we were there met by some advanced guys that took us to a hotel. turned out to be a hotel where a lot of press were staying, but we managed to slip in without them seeing it, and, and they gave me a hotel key, and I went out to get a Coke, and the door slammed behind me, so my key was sitting in there, and I thought, now I'm going to go up to the desk and sort of say, hey, uh, I'm Mr. <laughs> Mr. X. I didn't know what name I was checked under, but uh, but I just said, hey, you know, I'm in room such and such. My key slammed on the door, you know, so they gave me another one. More honest folks. It wouldn't happen outside Kansas. Yeah, yeah. I want to back up one second yeah. because the, the decision to leave the Senate. How did that originate? And Sheila uh, would be okay. closer to that because it, it, it does sort of. Have I mean, I, I think it was. I think she was on the losing side of that's not a good idea, and Scott Reed wanted to. Scott was really pushing the notion that uh, that this was bogging him down into day to day minutia, so he couldn't concentrate on that. Plus, it exposed them to having to cast votes on things that might be damaging that you'd be better off not dealing with. And so he was really uh, pulling that. And, and was there a, uh, I mean, there was, it wouldn't be the first campaign. I mean, I, I, reading between the lines, and my own experience, uh, I detect that there was more than one camp, that the, that the campaign folks Scott it was maybe a nice Maury. like most I mean most, uh, what, did they look upon you I mean the old kind of Senate establishment yes. types as what ideologically suspect or I think just suspect probably in every regard I think probably less so me than than Sheila uh, because she's seen as a closet moderate yeah and you know she had had all of that you know, attack on her from the right wing and the, all that press before that time. In the New York Times with the horns and all of that. Uh, and, and I think it probably yeah, I was less threatening to them. And I had, you know, been a sort of a loyal soldier doing my thing, you know, running lawyers for Dole and the policy operation and did you have a sense, I mean, I have a sense, with Maury there was a real ideological and cultural set of convictions there that reinforced whatever strategic or tactical advice she was giving. I, I, I don't have a sense with Scott. Uh, is Scott sort of a true believer? 
or with more more a no, uh, more I, tactician. I, I think um, he's more of a tactician and not a true believer. I mean, the one thing that I found extremely distressing during that campaign was that when Woodward wrote his book, that Scott gave extensive comments uh, and obviously talked to him at length in the ways that weren't helpful to the campaign. I thought that was unforgivable. If, it, if I had been dull, I would have fired him. But I'll tell you something. I heard um, from Elizabeth that they believe that Maury, um, um, among others, yeah. had had been chatting. Yeah, yeah, and um, and it contributed or reinforced a trait. A week before the convention, before the acceptance speech, I was. Um, in Grand Rapids at the Ford Museum. And I got a call. And um, first of all, she got on the line and talked about how, remember there was this whole Mark Helprin yeah. uh, romance that had been yeah. going on? And uh, he rode high for a while. Right. Okay. And But now the rubber meets the road. Well, and, 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 and actually, that's almost, you could have probably uh, written in advance, uh, sort of predicting uh, probably within a day or two when that call was going to occur, because it always does. Well, when the <laughs> chips are down, let's, let's get wreck. Well, <laughs> but it was, even by Dole standards, this was surreal. Because, first of all, you get the call. And it's control panic. It's not, I mean, they, they yeah. um, because she, it was also sort of inconsistent because on the one hand, she wanted to bring in another voice. But at the same time, with her predilection for preparation, she didn't want to upset the apple cart totally. She could, because Bob had gotten comfortable, he had practiced. He well, was all ready to give this speech. I, I will say, the sort of, even with the rewrites, he did seem to practice this speech more than he had practiced before, and the results showed. Well, that he that that, that with mm-hmm. practice, he he did a good job, and it was one of the better speeches that it gave. And her speech, <coughs> is uh, was was a phenomenal yeah. uh, speech. I yeah. mean, you know, so much so. That one of uh, well, there's a fellow here now, retired partner that's teaching down at UVA Law School, and he teaches effective communication mm. and speaking. Mm. He asked me to get a copy of her. Really? Really? Or he. Uh, well, he. It was very strange because again, you've got not for the first time, you've got diametrically opposing requests. In effect. We want you to look at this speech and sort of give us their candid. But then in, in the other ear, you hear from her. Don't but, change but it. Don't, yeah, because don't he's, change it because he's, he, you know, exactly. Good. All right. So then I'm sitting in the Ford Museum, and I said, okay, well, you know, here's the fax number. Well, at that point, they were so paranoid because of the Woodward book 
He said, no, I'll, I'll read it to you. So I've got to listen to this draft Boy, that's over hard. the phone. That's, now, that's, that's kind of, you know, just that's, in terms of the way that you process <clears throat> things, Well, that would be pretty hard for me to do. It would be very hard, but it, was, it, it also, I immediately, frankly, my heart went out to him because I, I could imagine what brought him to that. Yeah. That is an extreme, yeah. you know, okay. So, um, he starts reading, and it's Halpern's, and it goes on and on and on about age. Oh, is it Halpern? Yeah, it's is a, reading Hel- you? No, no, Dole is reading Halpern's okay. draft, okay? okay? And, and on, you could turn age to your advantage. I mean, I actually had some ideas about how to do it, some of which he accepted at the end. But, I mean, uh, the problem was it dwelled on and on, and it was nostalgic. It made him look like he was looking back, and I, mm-hmm. I knew right away. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to be a genius to know the Clinton people are going to pounce on this and the whole bridge to the yeah. future and all this stuff. But anyway, I remember, I'll never forget, he talked about the advantages of age, and he used the word, uh, you know, perspective, but, but serenity. I said, wait a second, <laughs> stop right there. I said, you may be many things, but, but you're not, not serene. <laughs> I said, you know, you don't want to lose your audience in the first paragraph. And uh, he actually laughed. He said, "Yeah, maybe we should change that word." <laughs> but anyway, so we went through we went through the whole thing, and I'm I'm torn because what I'm listening to, and I'm trying to be as objective as possible, does not, by and large, sound like Dole, or is the strongest way to turn his disadvantages to pluses. And it's not ego. It's not you know. So anyway, it was a it was a kind of um, you know non-committal sort of it was just breaking the ice, and I made a few modest suggestions, and particularly about the end and all that. So anyway, then of course you can imagine you know we get dragged into it, and at one point he says, "Don't you think you should come to San Diego?" I said, "Son, I think that would be the worst thing in the world for me and for you." Because if I come to San Diego, someone's going to leak it, and for all we know, Halpern could have a fit and walk out. And mm-hmm. then you've got, and of course, I never went to San Diego, and Halpern had a fit, <laughs> um, which you also could have predicted. Yeah. You know? So in the end, it was just the last page, page and a half, really, that he used. But the, the, the irony was the most optimistic man in America was the line that was in the Times headline the next mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. The problem was, <laughs> the first 90% of the speech, he sounded like the most pessimistic shit <laughs> in America. And then he sort of turned around, you know? But it was, it was just, I thought to myself, if, if this is the, the way the campaign is functioning, then it's not yeah. good for... Yeah, well, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, how much of a... Uh, struggle was there around one the platform because you did have the well I think there was uh, there was I mean it was a constant knife fight and and uh, within the campaign within the campaign and and I don't know do you are you interviewing Dennis uh, Shea I don't know if he's going to be on the list Uh, well I mean he was running policy he had a policy operation yeah you you, you could probably short. get a sense yeah. of uh, 
of because he was there every day, along with uh, uh, Greg Gross was his assistant. And was this? I mean, I don't want to oversimplify. Was it a kind of a the old hands versus the the new hires? Yeah. yeah or, well, and uh, then then after we got the nomination, then you had all the normal hangers on that were there trying to find a role. The guy that's running McCain's campaign, Rick Zalter or no, De Davis, Davis, or whatever. Yeah, is that Rick Davis? Yeah, who. I really didn't have a good feeling about right. it. Right. And Charlie Black and all of these people suddenly showed up, you know. Really? Hey, we're the pros from Dover and we're going to help. Yeah, <laughs> Rumsfeld. And so you, you sort of layered on. I was <coughs> most involved with coming up with a tax plan, which we came up with and eventually. Now the, that was the 15% tax yeah, cut? Yeah, yeah. Um, which yeah became clearly the centerpiece of his. Yeah. Did he? And and did he it, sound like he believed it? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. You know. No, and I, I don't mean I mean, that's such a loaded question, but I mean, yeah. given the baggage, I mean his reputation as a green eye shade, right. you know, budget balancer. It seemed like this kind of overnight conversion to. But uh, well, you know he had, you know. Uh, me working on it, and Mark McConaughey, and and uh, uh, what's his name? Who was at the Joint Committee? Yeah, Ken Keyes, and uh, oh gosh, some guys from Hoover. Okay, you know it was a pretty good team of yeah. people, and we came up with a, a, I thought a pretty good plan of how to make that all work. How much of that was kind of shouting into the wind given the sense of prosperity I and I, I balanced budgets? Was, and, I, I, mean, th I think we were kind of shouting into the wind. I mean, I, it's not like that, that moved much or became a useful major theme. Was there any day it, during the campaign when you thought, hey, we just might pull this off? I mean, after the nomination. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't perceive that it was hopeless. That that and, and after I went to this Kennedy School thing, I thought, yeah, I should have been able to see that, but I didn't see it. I, you know, we just fought on. But you know, as the polls were, you know, sort of in the campaign, I'm always hoping that there's going to be a miracle at the end. You know, the tumble from the stage and you know things. You know, it's fascinating to me. There have been a lot of people that uh, that I've uh, relatives and other people that'll meet Dole and say, "Gee, I didn't realize he's a funny guy as he is." And I thought, "God, you know, I guess that just never comes through." But it's also like, where have you been the last twenty years? Yeah, that's that's. But you know, so many people have said that, and I'm thinking. That's if anybody profiled him, they would say, you know, he's a naturally witty guy. He's always been that way. What about? I mean, I remember hearing uh, toward the end of the campaign, secondhand, um, that there was an incident, and I don't want to blow it out of proportion, but that I mean, it was typical that Noel came in one day and you know 
And I think people have been awakening. I think John Buckley. Uh, yeah, yeah, people yeah, yeah. And Dole said something to the effect that he didn't lose his temper, but he, he said, you, know, you, you don't know how hard it is to go out there every day, day after day after day, you know, when you're getting beaten, head, you're beaten over the head and the polls, you know, and to be upbeat and optimistic and, you know, we're going to win this thing and, you know, so on, so right. on. And sort of over your shoulder, you got people in your own camp who are, you know, yeah. talking uh, for some reason to their advantage and to your distance. Well, I mean, it was a leaky, leaky ship, I'll say that. You yeah. know, for instance, who we were looking at for vice president. I mean, it was, by and large, a very tightly controlled thing. Dole, I, and Scott Reed. Okay, in order for me to take an airplane, I had to have somebody in the campaign authorize the plane and whatever. <coughs> but, you know, I got up in the morning, went to church, went to a national airport, got on a plane by myself, went up, met with uh, Ridge, Flew back, had dinner guests that night. Never said uh, to right. a soul where I had been. Yep. And within two days, John King, of uh, who's now with ABC News, the, was I think with AP, writes the armament was up. So there's somebody had to do that. The same thing when I went to the Midwest. Within two days, they written the story, and I didn't tell anybody. Well, could it have been the candidate? I mean, the, I mean, it would have been in some ways in Ridges. Uh, yeah, but I don't think I don't think it was. They'd break the. Yeah. And 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 it became those leaks became so persistent that I got a call from somebody, one of the ladies that I knew at at ABC and say, hey, "We're terribly sorry, Rod, but uh, don't be surprised if you." find somebody's following you around because uh, we're always behind the story and we want to figure out who you're looking at. And so I, I, my son was then working up in the Senate as a, for a summer job, as a page or something. And uh, he and I came out of the driveway of my house in Great Falls. And all of a sudden, uh, there was a car behind me, like, and I was just a little stunned because I thought I had not seen it and it had been sort of pulled off alongside of the road and pulled out when I did and uh, and so I thought then when he was just following me at every turn I said this bastard's following me so I was driving a Porsche at the time so and I know the roads in Great Falls so I, I just floored it got up ahead and then <coughs> went down some side roads and lost the guy and uh, and I saw the car sitting out in back of, because I had an office then on the back side of the building. I looked down and see him waiting for me to come out of the garage. Mm. And every time I would get in my car, they would follow me. And so they'd pick me up in the morning and follow me all day. And I, I had a meeting uh, on a pension matter with uh, Goodling's folks up on the hill. And I was, it was on a Friday, about this time of day that I had to be up there. So I got my car and drove up and parked there, and then I was going to pick up my son. And this woman parked behind me and followed about four steps behind me into the uh, 
Rayburn office building and stood out in the hall while I went in to meet with these people. And I sort of said, well, there's going to be a rumor that Goodling is a vice president. <laughs> and I tried to find another way out of the thing, you know, <laughs> even crawling through the window and leaving this person. But it turned out there was no other way to get out of there. So she followed me yeah, back out of the building and uh, went to pick up my son. And she followed me home. That's scary. I mean, that's really... Um, the debates, did Dole take them more seriously than uh, the one in 76? Yes, I, I think he, he worked pretty hard, and it turned out Kemp didn't take them seriously at all. That was a shock to me. Now, you know, I, we did not lose the, this election because of Kemp. And indeed, Kemp was <clears throat> very disciplined and didn't, you know, whereas he was had a view of being sort of an uncontrolled missile, basically did what he was asked to do. If he was asked to go somewhere, he went there. He stayed on message, no gold bugs and stuff. You know, I said, it's funny, the conversation we had with him and the other conversations I've had with him, I mean, I'm convinced that there developed a, a genuine friendship and admiration. Yeah. On, on the part of yeah. Kemp, and, and so, which I mean, had not existed yeah, before. Not, not, but he he uh, he did his part. But th- th- that was where I would have not imagined that he would fail. And I don't think he, I don't think he's naturally good at debating, which surprised me because he's such a talker. And I don't think he prepared like he should have. But that was that was a pretty poor performance. I mean, when Quayle was able to do a lot better than you are, that's that's a sort of a wake-up call. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, uh, Kemp was... I think in some ways Kemp's never recovered from that. Yeah. I think it, 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 it stamped him in a way that... Uh, yeah, it sort of showed sort of, a real weakness. Uh, yeah. That the idea of Kemp... Yeah, sort of, sort of, yeah, like he, he, I think, imagined himself to be a great intellectual, and and that sort of pulled away the veneer. Was Perot a factor at all? I don't think so. Yeah. This is somebody I was with a bunch of friends uh, uh, earlier in the week, and this is a group we'd normally used to go salmon fishing together in in the summer. But the guy that had the salmon fishing camp at his disposal retired. So <laughs> so we met for lunch and talking politics. And uh, and one guy really wanted to talk about it. You know, is Gingrich going to get in? And I said, who cares? I mean, it, it doesn't much matter if he does or he doesn't. I don't think he's a factor. What, how how Elizabeth do during the campaign? Well, you know, I mean, did she do a lot of independent campaigning? Yeah, she, she did a lot of independent campaigning, <coughs> and she was, you know, as Elizabeth uh, was disciplined and uh, and cared about his well being and and always conscientious. You, you ask about women candidates. I mean, we had a little like. Uh, effort with her to just think of women candidates and we we did an exercise of looking 
at every woman that he had held uh, appointed office in any Republican administration. You know, anybody who had been an assistant secretary or cabinet officer. Or, it's uh, just a crazy question. Did Senator Dale O'Connor's name? I think it up? was it was mentioned. There was you know some university presidents that were mentioned and Carla Hills and you know we 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 stretched to think of every potential woman mm. that that had some high profile and and uh, political life. But, you know, the at least at that time, it would be less true now. I mean, you know, you have people like Condoleezza Rice or whatever that are that have occupied significant positions. There's sort of the universe of people that would qualify yeah. with a lot of high-level government experience, right. like a Cheney. There isn't a big list. Was he, at any point in that phone campaign, relaxed? I don't. Not that I saw that he was relaxed, but I, I think it? that I think that there were uh, that he was less agitated than he uh, had every right to be. That he that he that that he, that he wasn't uh, as as grumpy as. Yeah. I mean, you know, say nineteen eighty. Or even yeah. in '88. Yeah, there is this bizarre quasi-Freudian. I don't know what the origins of it are. Uh, notion that for him, winning the nomination was everything. That right. that you know, win, you know, winning the election would have been almost was, too much to really yeah, expect. Yeah, but, but, but getting the but nomination have, had been sort of a quest, almost a lifelong quest. Right. I mean, you wonder whether there's this, again, this notion, this side of goal that um, looks down the road and sees the, the opposition and figures that, you know, much as he might deserve something, you know, it's it's not going to come, not come his happen. way. Yeah. Yeah. And to, so to win the nomination is a kind of validation of your life's yeah. work. And well, given that he sort of contested for it, multiple times and come pretty close. Well, did, that's did a, you ever see him really down during that campaign? Not really. Or was it kind of an equilibrium? Yeah, he's an equilibrium and, and uh, he's uh, got such remarkable resilience. Was there ever a time I mean, now you did that last, and remember in October, finally you get some breaks because of the fundraising stories. Right. And uh, on the other hand, you also got a more or less open campaign by some Republicans to, you know, well, never mind about Bob Dole, but, you know, we got to keep yeah, Congress, yeah, yeah. you know. I mean, how did he handle that? And, of course, there is the argument that actually he, he contributed to the Republicans keeping Congress, that uh, yeah. the last... Uh, Two yeah, days people. Of the campaign. People wanted divided government, so that uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I wasn't there with him day to 
day, so it's hard to say that he was not down. But he, he, he really did soldier on, in the way that you were describing. How he sort of say, "Hey, how do I keep upbeat and keep the uh, uh, the notion alive that we're not going to lose?" Was there a scenario that by which you could win? I mean, or I mean, how late? Well, I believed we could win. I mean, you could put together two hundred seventy electoral votes. Yeah, yeah. B- b- despite the uh, and were your polls more or less in agreement? I mean, because there are a lot of public polls. You look at the CNN tracking poll and the Times poll; they were showing twenty twenty-five point gaps for most of the campaign. Yeah, but and 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 then at know, the end, it yeah, it tightened. So, so I I I was looking for. Uh, the miracle, the, the uh, despite all the odds, it turns out well for us. Because I didn't want, I, I, you know, I wasn't prepared to concede it. Do you know, there was a concession speech. Was there ever a victory speech written? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer. And did that. he ever talk about a cabinet? Yeah, but I think he thought that it was, yeah, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's not like we did any planning. No, it's kind of a yeah. game. Yeah. What about, I mean, since then, how, I mean, there was a school of thought, and in a lot of ways, time has been very good to Bob Dole, that um, who knows what kind of president he would have made. Yeah. But that, in a curious sort of way, he became the perfect un-Clinton. I mean, he, he, he is... The things that in some ways worked against him in 96, later on actually came to work well, in his he had his he had his The war career. record. Yeah. I mean, he became this kind of national grandfather, the face of the World War II generation. Yeah, the, he, yeah, the, the, the memorial. The, the mall thing he threw himself into, he, he had... His sense of humor came out in his TV ads. Well, yeah, this whole uh, sort of... Re- he made money, whereas, it, you know, he always grew up desperately poor, and I think he was always felt bad about that. And he made money, and I think the significance for the money is not him personally, because I don't think he ever needed it or wanted it personally, but, you know, to take care of his relatives. And I think, you know, that he's made sure who, that... Who, who needed some taking care yeah. of Yeah. Yeah, so that uh, that I think has given him a lot of satisfaction that he's been able to uh, to do something for for those people that needed it. I mean, the, the fact is, I'm sure he's done quite well himself. But I mean, sure. his lifestyle is no different than if yeah. he hadn't done that. I mean, it's pretty much the same lifestyle, and uh, and then I think he gets some gratification with Elizabeth uh, going in the Senate. Was he um, a significant, I'm sure he was a significant advisor, was he a significant cheerleader for her running for the presidency when she did? I guess so. I mean, you know, that 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 effort was so, uh, that was even less than 1980. In terms of his effort, but I think he, you know, had hoped, and I, I did what I could on that campaign. 
What haven't we covered? Does he miss the Senate? Does he miss the Senate? Uh, I think he, he does. I mean, I think he's, he stays in close touch. I mean, uh, I think he was, when he was honored with his, you know, the portrait ceremony was something that uh, I think he enjoyed. He gets a, you know, I think he dabbles around enough to to enjoy it. But I think, I have a sense that he's in a, you're talking about uh, time being kind to him. I think that he's in a, uh, a very good place in his life in these years that he's uh, sort of content. He's made money. He, you know, he doesn't like he needs to make any more. He's helped build two different law firms. Uh, he's seen Elizabeth, uh, you know, and I'm sure he put a lot of psychic energy into that and, and advising her behind the scenes. Uh, he's, be, and he's become. So I mean, I think, you know, and he's. He's kind you know, of a pop figure, too. I mean, yeah. the ads and everything else made him this kind of unlikely cultural icon in and, some ways. And, you know, he's he's been able to do, you know, a lot of public, you know, it's the just the, the uh, Walter Reed Commission, uh, the... Uh, and the whole Bosnian... Bosnian MIAs. Uh, you know, I think, you know, when people... Th- sort of say, who can we do some of these things? They think of him because he's willing to do it, and I think he throws himself into it and puts a lot of energy in it. Uh, you know, so he's able to uh, to make a difference in terms of the, the uh, doing good for society. So, so I mean, I, I do think that he seems very content and You, you know. think he uh, is 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 aging a burden? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's you know, fascinating when we when we set series out of him, falls and stuff. Uh, it was almost as if, unconsciously, he was showing off. That he had extraordinary recall, and he would in ways that you didn't need to do. Almost as a kind of mental exercise, he would go back fifty years in time and he'd give you a name and and and, a, and, a, and the kind of you know detail that would you know yeah. just to show that you know he could do it that yeah. he could still do it yeah and um, well you know you don't have a sense that he has slipped mentally physically uh, from time to time he just seemed very thin. Uh, and and sort of somewhat frail. I mean, I I've visited him a couple of times in the hospital. So at that point, he's not at his well. At one point, after I think he'd fallen, and that's where he kind of cut up yes. his eye and yes. stuff. He just seemed because he was in sort of hospital gowns, and you could see his legs, and his legs are. I have big. Thick legs, and he's got skinny legs yeah. to begin with. But he yeah. was—he just seemed really thin. Yeah. Now he's put on some weight, and they have him drinking Insure and stuff. So, so that's a good thing. Um, but uh, you know, he seems to have recovered from that pretty well, and uh, um, so he seems to be doing 
somewhat but he, better. But I, you know, I think he's physically uh, not what he was. I mean, it's funny. We we went over to uh, Bob Lighthizer and Sheila and I went over to his office to uh, to all go up together to uh, I think see Ronald Reagan lying in state. You know, in the Capitol, and he was going to get us in, so we didn't have to wait in line. And it turned mm. out that Sheila actually had arranged it. So, but at any <laughs> rate, uh, uh, Bob Lighthizer uh, said to me when we were going there, he said, "Do you realize that we're the same age now as Bob Dole was when we went to work for him?" I don't know how many years ago that was, but he was must have been in his mid to late fifties, and that's what we were at the time. Now I'm fifty nine, and so is Bob. So maybe fifty seven or something, and that's kind of a shock too that you've <laughs> you've reached this point. Uh, and I thought he was uh, a pretty old guy. Do you think of a, one thing? I mean. You know, putting aside your personal feelings, historically, what what what's Bob Dole's place? I mean, you know, he will have to go down as one of the great legislators uh, in the nation's history, and you sort of think of programs that he was involved in. Uh, you know, tax increase, tax cut, food stamps disability legislation that 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 probably would be first and foremost of, of what he'd, his place in history will be. I mean the fact that somebody ran for presidency and lost is well it admits you to a, a small club. Yeah small club and, uh, and, and you know he Another sense, you ran for vice back. president as well. So. Yeah, you could step back and see through his. You can see through the prism of his career, the transformation of the Republican Party. I mean, yeah. say seventy six, yeah, I mean, ninety six. That, that would be, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, he could be a case study for that. Uh, In some cases, it was almost like he was chasing the bus. I mean, it's, <laughs> it was turning right, turn, and, turning uh, right, and. So. <laughs> Well, listen, thank you very much. Um, off the record, I, I just 